Welcome back to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile alongside Drew Stevens. Drew, what's going on, man? Oh, man. Still trying to figure out um, what happened in that third quarter of the Bulls' latest loss to the Kings and what happened in the clutch situations of that game, the the, the two four-point plays from DeMar DeRozan and the backbreaker from the NBA's leading uh, scorer in the clutch, De'Aaron Fox. And, mm. man, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking victory or loss. Although, yeah. like you and I talked about, these competitive kind of tank losses. <laughs> yeah, um, keep building up that value for for Zach and DeRozan, and <laughs> hey, I'm I'm fine with that. If you want to keep building up, hey, build up value for for Kobe White. If you want to keep him or sign and trade him, I don't know. Well, you know, I'm yeah. fine with it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of things are on the table, or will be on the table this summer in terms of um, different ways this thing can go. That Bulls game really, I think, encapsulated the whole season because it was the roller coaster ride of, of seeing them come out to a really good start, have a rough third quarter. We, we've kind of seen second half woes with the Bulls. And then a fourth quarter where you kind of saw it all. Like the Bulls, at least in the second half, you saw it all because – you know, the Bulls come out of the gate shooting really hot from three. Third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, they kind of go in a lull. Then they start hitting threes again in the fourth, and they, they kind of finish okay for the game. But, you know, hey, it's great. They're taking a lot more threes. Love to see that. But you see where the lack of consistent shooting is is coming back to bite them. And, yeah, that, that bucket by De'Aaron Fox, man, I I sensed it coming the, the minute DeRozan hit that free throw. And you see how much time's on the clock. You're like, eh, I don't have a good feeling about this. And gotta give him credit. He had a he had a big shot. And I almost feel bad for Io Dasumu. Like, what more can you do in that situation on on a pull up three? But yeah, De'Aaron Fox, man, he's cold blooded as all hell. I've always been a big fan of him. And to think him and Halliburton were in the same backcourt, it's crazy. It really is. He he has um, impressed me. I'm sure. As much as he has impressed other MVA observers out there, um, we talked about this off camera about how you know I always knew that he was a, a really good player. Um, I did not know he was the scorer that he is, particularly in the clutch. Um, he's having having quite the year, and in the Bulls, you know, as many times as Demar Derozan um, specifically kind of helped them get victories last season. It just feels like they're just finding ways to lose. Um, mm-hmm. this season. Yeah. It's the bizarro bulls compared to last year's team, right? Like it's just, yeah. it really um, so of course then there was also, well, actually before we get to the, the Lonzo ball stuff, I know drew, um, I, we definitely want to keep doing this with each episode is to update the playing odds right now. Um, because you know, there were some promising wins that got him into the play-in, but now they've fallen out. And I think they're right now sitting at 11th, still ahead of the Pacers. So what are the, what are the current odds though for the, for the plan? Yeah. So as we sit here on Thursday, um, they are still in 11th place. They're a half game up on the Pacers, but their odds of, getting back to the 10th seed and keeping the 10th seed, according to basketball reference, 
is 25.6% with a, yeah, 25.6% with a 46.2% chance of missing out on the postseason entirely. Wow. Well, all right. Well, that's your, that's your weekly update. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's, it's good to kind of keep an eye on cause I know I, there's moments I find myself fluctuating. I don't know how you feel, but I, I find myself fluctuating from actually thinking, yeah, you know what? I kind of want to watch it. I'd like to watch some, I don't know if you still call it postseason basketball, but just maybe catch a game or two. Well, little bonus basketball, I guess. But then I, then my brain kicks in and goes, well, what's the point? Like, does it really matter watching this, these extra maybe two games or game? I don't know. Probably yeah. not worth it. Yeah, but then, you you, you know, and, and until they are mathematically eliminated, you know they're going to keep going out there with the intent to try to win each game and every game they can to, to make the play in. So you got to kind of couch it with that in mind. But, um, you know, I was I was watching the game last night on the edge of my seat and kind of living and dying with with each each shot that was made or missed and, um, you know, wishing that Zach Levine's hot streak continued or, you know, that he or Vooch made just one more three pointer. Um, somebody make one more free throw, you know, so I mean, it, it's kind of that duality of wanting to see this team do well in the present, but knowing that in the long run, what seems to be, um, the better course of action would be trying to, trying to salvage that, that draft pick and not have it conveyed to the magic and be left with nothing come this summer. Um, if Portland doesn't make the playoffs, if, if uh, they're not able to do that, the Bulls don't have that pick from them. Um, even if they were to somehow get a second round pick, I think, I believe Denver owes them a second round pick if it falls like mid to late second round, but even that would be forfeited because of the penalties with Lonzo Ball. So we're very much in, the, in a position where the Bulls could be without a, any draft pick this summer. You know, I find myself wanting to relive the past of, of 15 years ago. And if you recall 15 years ago, the Chicago Bulls were coming off a season where there was a lot of hype with Ben Wallace and, and the baby Bulls and hopes and aspirations that the following year they would take the next step. And instead they won 33 games, found themselves in the lottery and they were trying to fight for the eighth seed heading into like the last couple weeks of the season. What ended up happening is, Lottery ball bounced their way up into the number one pick, which ended up being, of course, Derrick Rose. So there was part of me that wants to be so irrational to think, could it happen 15 years later? Could the pendulum swing back in this case? Because it, it's kind of a weird, like, odd comparison if you think about it. Like, I know I'm I'm grabbing at straws here. I get it. But think about it. Are the stars aligning, man? Would they have like a one? Was it a one point five percent chance? One point seven, I think. One point seven. As we sit here today talking, they have a six percent chance of getting the number one pick. So I mean, much better. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. hey, you know, I I kind of would rather. Uh, I think I'd rather do that. I'd rather pull for that. I think at this point. So. 
especially like when you, when you lay out the bleak chance of of Portland's pick not conveying. I mean, fuck, you're without a pick completely in this draft, and it's not ideal. Which is why you got to wonder, like, who are those draft day trades potentially coming? You know, so yeah. we'll see. They're in a, like I think we talked about this last time you and I spoke, but they're almost in a position where they have to try to trade Demar, or they have to try to sign and trade Vucevic, or they have to try to try to uh, trade Zach Levine just to kind of recoup um, some more meaningful, impactful players and or uh, lottery picks, or I'm sorry, draft picks just in general. Um, just as where things stand with this team and this franchise. Mm-hmm. And I do want to get into, you know, um, some more talk about, you know, rebuilding because of course this is the rebuildable podcast after all. Um, and that certainly that scenario that we're kind of painting there would spell a rebuild. And I, I do want to get into that uh, with the bulls and really the, the Chicago sports landscape. Um, but before we do that, uh, of course, some news came out today here on Thursday, March 16th, um, from Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN that uh, Lonzo Ball will indeed undergo that third knee surgery on on his left knee. And, you know, there's a chance that he could be out. It's very likely he could be out during the 2023-24 season. So we could have Lonzo lost for two whole seasons, plus a good portion of his first year under his four-year contract. So basically, the way it's looking, he is, if he even gets to that, that final season, um, he, he could have basically only played uh, not even a, a quarter of that, less than yeah, like an eighth, a sixteenth of that. Um, one of the things that was really concerning from the tweet that you know Woj put out there um it was a follow-up on his initial report was quote there are concerns about ball's ability to resume his career and hopes that this surgery which would cost ball another full season away will give him a a pathway to play again sources said that's kind of scary to think about that this is a, a scenario that's really about him being able to just resume his career or even just live comfortably, it seems like. So the, the surgery he's going in for is cartilage replacement, which is a, a totally new technique. Um, so I feel like whenever you hear something about replacing cartilage, like that's, that's not a good sign. No, it's not. And, you know, even though um, we kind of were told that this third surgery was a very real possibility the news that he could miss another entire season and um, the fact that this is a cartilage transplant, just some things that kind of make your antennas go off even more, even with the amount of time that he's already missed and, you know, how every update on him seems to be a negative one. It seems to skew negatively. And again, obviously you you feel for him um, not being able to, to do what he loves to do. Uh, obviously, as Bulls fans, we very much enjoy watching him play. Um, I myself, selfishly, I miss keeping tallies of 
what he would do each game depending on his hairstyle. Like I, I very much miss doing that, man. Um, I hope that at some point, selfishly, that he's able to come back so that I can, so that I can get back to doing that. Um, but um, yeah, man. So, there, so looking forward to that, by the way, this year with you on the podcast as a co-host. I was so hoping for that <laughs> that would be continuously shared, but. Sorry. I know, man. I know. Like, like you said uh, before we got on here, the fact that he's about to try something that um, has not been used uh, too often and it's kind of a newer technique, it just kind of hammers home the point of how serious this thing really is and um, – how much and how much his career may in fact be in jeopardy, even though he, you know, he told reporters, told Casey Johnson, I believe in, in Paris that um, he didn't believe it to be a, a career ending injury and that he was still proceeding as if he'd be, able, he'd be able to get back on the court one day, but it's not, it's not good, man. It continues to be, you know, very gloomy news. Um, mm-hmm. Even though they're hoping that, this surgery revives his career. It's just so many um, negative hits that that part of the tweet kind of doesn't doesn't hit the same. You know, it's kind of yeah. almost feels like wishful thinking. It does, and man, it, ever since that that night in January, it seems like everything with this Bulls core has just gone completely south. You know, and it, it's so bizarre too, Drew, because like that game. It's almost like, oh, well, he just kind of tweaked his knee and and we didn't really think anything of it. It wasn't like this big catastrophic injury that occurred, right? It was like, like, oh, little, little gimpy and that's it. You know, like, mm-hmm. ah, maybe it's just a sprain. Maybe it's just what, but, you know, and, and there was so much mystery surrounding his return, what's going on. And I think given that there's been two procedures and now a third, it's just so numbing that. You know, from that moment, if you had told us, I think back in January of 2022, that was going to be a catastrophic injury for Alonzo Ball, I think none of us would have believed it. And not at all, especially with, with Zach going down earlier in that game. That that's the injury or the the person who we thought um, was going to be in danger of, of missing the season, or you know, we didn't know what was going on there. Uh, so you, so you're right. The the injury that that Ball suffered in the game it, it seemed, for lack of a better word, more innocent than yeah uh, what has proved to be true. Yeah, and it, I remember with that game too when they showed the replay of Zach because it was pretty early in the game when Zach got hurt. Mm-hmm. It was against Golden State. It was I think a, an ESPN game because yep. they had just come off a bad loss against Brooklyn mm-hmm. on an ESPN broadcast, and that's when. You know, J.J. Reddick comes out and says, oh, they're probably like the fifth best team in the East at best. And I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute. We're, you know, one of the top seats. Come on. And that next night, or I think it was like a, two nights later, another nationally televised game. And I just remember that replay. You watched Zach's knee and you're like, oh, man, like, you know, no contact, just kind of had like a weird kind of motion. And you're like, oh, crap. Like, yeah. could it be another... You know, I remember thinking like, shit, is it an ACL or, and then, you know, he turns out to come back like post all-star break. And he was like, all right, great. Zach's back. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, or did he come back even like 
and played in the all-star game and came back for the Bulls. He did. He did. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, he kind of like, I remember he had like a stretch too where he sat out after that, but I think that, that Lonzo ended up being the one that had the, the catastrophic injury is, is crazy looking back on it. But, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast that that guy's the straw that stirs the drink. And, you know, now if you're AK and Mark Eversley going into this offseason, you know what the primary need is, right? <laughs> like, you have to make it happen. You have to get that level of point guard who probably needs to be your starting point guard from here on out. So there's no relying on Lonzo Ball anymore. It's that to me that probably died when we the calendar flipped to 2023, but it definitely it, this put an exclamation point on it. They're going to have to find that next point guard of the future this offseason. Yeah, and and they definitely do. And can't just be a point guard. It's got to be somebody that you know, man, approximates what what Lonzo Ball can do. It's crazy, right? Because Lonzo Ball is not. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame player. He's never made an all-star game, never been an all-NBA player. But there's very few players who can do what he does on a basketball court. And my confidence level in the Bulls being able to find somebody this summer who can approximate what he does is is not high. I'll just I'll say that. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Um, so we have yeah, to see what's, <laughs> what happens. Yeah, and like looking at next year's free agents too, it's it's not great. Um, you know, if we look at point guards, I mean, you wanna you wanna take a a stab at like a Sharif Cooper? Can I interest you in that? Um, yeah, I, for those of you listening, Drew just made a, a face that literally looked like I was trying to pull his teeth out. Um, but like, I mean, there's there's some want to take a spin at john wall you want to go the veteran route i mean (laughs) and again we the value that lonzo brings is the fact that it's it's the two-way ability the court vision the ability to play off the ball in the half court it's a lot that he brings so you know i mean they're probably not going to get somebody that's apples to apples to him and it kind of goes back to something that you know you mentioned about potentially moving on from somebody in the off season, you know, maybe a, a, like brought up DeMar DeRozan in the past, you know, that might open the door. Then if, if you replace him with somebody that's more three and D you might be able to get away with a point guard that maybe has a different skill set. So then, then Alonzo ball. So it's, yeah. it, it's just unfortunate, man, because you think back like that euphoria of that, Beginning of the season, and I would say even the off season, the first domino of that twenty twenty one free agency class, which again that that happened, I think in August because of like the season delays with COVID. That was like the first domino to drop I, on ESPN special was Lonzo Ball, and because of tampering, but you know that was the first domino, and to uh-huh. think where it's gone since then is it's unreal, but. You know, it is reality, unfortunately, and, and the Bulls are going to have to pivot. Um, but, you know, it, all this, like, 
has got me thinking with, with the state of the Bulls, Drew, and even like now talk about what are you going to do post-Lonzo Ball? Um, and even this past weekend with the Chicago Bears in town, um, it got me thinking about rebuilds and about the Chicago Bulls rebuild. I mean, honestly, this this podcast was originally built with the whole idea of trying to see a rebuild through and uh, well, <laughs> might be pretty quick. Um, but I, I started talking with you about this over text and then we talked a little bit earlier about just the Chicago sports landscape and rebuilds that really since the Chicago Bulls major rebuild after MJ and the dynasty Bulls of the 90s, there have been a lot of different rebuilds throughout the Chicago sports landscape. I feel like it's something we've all gotten used to. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, of course the Bulls, and then, you know, you have the two baseball teams in town, the White Sox and Cubs have done rebuilds. The Blackhawks have done a rebuild. The Bears have done rebuilds, although there's kind of a weird thing with the NFL, but in recent years, I think they've really done two big rebuilds. And, I mean, the Bulls probably have done three of them, two of them, two major ones. I mean, I feel like it's a never-ending rebuild. Um, so, yeah, man, it's it was something I wanted to, to get into. And I know you, you did some digging on the successes in Chicago sports with rebuilds. So let's, if you can, can you share some of the numbers that you were kind of like that you, you pulled up? Um, and, and let's, let's start with the bulls, of course, because to me, they're the OG of Chicago rebuilds because it, it was like, that's when it became a thing was around that time. So, you know, if you can run through some of the numbers for, for our listeners, especially those that are Chicago sports fans. Sure. So this is um, ever since the Bulls won the last championship. So mm -hmm. they've made the playoffs 12 times. They've had eight first round exits. They've had three semifinal losses and they've made it to one conference final. One conference final, and that would have been 2011, Derrick Rose's MVP year. Yep. Um, yeah. So, like, the thing with two, like you said, how many semi-final losses? Three. Three. So, just from memory, and I think I got it. The semi-final losses would probably be two of those have to be under Thibs. I think one's against the Heat in 13. One's against the Cavs in 15. I'm going to say the other semifinal loss comes from the Scott Skiles Baby Bulls in wow. 07 against the Pistons. You I, are right on the money, my friend. And if you kind of if you think about it, like those are probably the most successful or like that, that kind of were the, the cores that peaked, you know, Oh seven bulls definitely kind of hit their peak with Skiles at that point, you know, kind of had a, a reset and then yeah. Like with fibs and everything that that's when you kind of hit a, you know, 15 was probably the peak of that. Mm -hmm. um, but man, yeah, that's 12. 
12 playoff appearances, you said. 12? 12. And how many first rounds? That's You said nine or eight? Eight. Eight, for, shoot, eight first round exits. That's, I mean, shit, that kind of defines, defines the mediocrity of the Chicago Bulls over the, the last however many years. Because look, like, to me, what? let me ask you this, Drew. What do you think defines a successful rebuild? I'm glad um, that's a good question because I was going to flip that on you too. Because um, I don't think it necessarily means you get back to the mountaintop and you win a championship. I think a successful rebuild could also be one where you're back to serious championship contention for yeah. a period of time. It's not just a one and done um, kind of like a, you know, lighting in a bottle type year. It kind of a su- sustained um, success, even if it doesn't come with a championship. Would you do you see it that way or? Yeah, I I kind of do. Like I feel like you have to be in championship contention, you know, regularly. So to me, it, like the NBA is weird with this because there's playoff contention and then there's championship contention, and. Like a great example would be like the baby bulls, like the baby bulls to me, they were playoff contenders. They could get into the playoffs, but maybe their peak was, you know, a fifth seed because they just couldn't get over that hump of playing against the the top tier competition in the East at that point. Um, and I think some of us, and, and I'll, I'll be honest in like 2007, I, you know, young at that point, Teenage Matt was drinking and guzzling the Kool-Aid like crazy, probably, and was like, oh, yeah, we got a shot. We got a shot. But really, you look back on it, maybe not. Um, so I would say, though, like the Derrick Rose iteration of the Bulls with, like, Fibs, like, that's championship contention. Like, that's, I think, especially, like, 11, 12, I'd say even 2015, when they lost to the Cavs, I think they had a shot to get out of the East that year. If they had beaten mm-hmm. Cleveland, I think they would have been in the in the NBA Finals that year against the Warriors. Um, that to me was a team that probably had a level of sustained success. You know, so like to me, that's and that's the key, like the sustained success, but probably being in that championship contention window where you could see them getting out of their their conference. I think that's how I would define it. Let me let me ask you this. Can I assume that you would tell me that the best player the Bulls have had since their sixth championship was Derrick Rose? Yes. And then I Who's think the- a, a close close seconds Jimmy Butler. I agree. As much as as much as Jimmy Butler frustrated the hell out of me, you can't deny that he was a self-made superstar or i've always well oof, man I, I can't believe i just said that because i've always raged against calling him a superstar i've always called him an all-star and and i think there's a difference so i i'm gonna walk that back a little bit but <laughs> i guess there was a freudian slip but i've always defined people as superstars the guys that can take you to the mountaintop and jimmy butler i think took miami to the finals, but I think he did it in a very favorable situation. I know people probably roll their eyes with the whole bubble atmosphere, but I think there I'm, was I'm something my to eyes. that. I'm rolling my eyes at you. I'm not, I'm not doing it purposely, but I, 
<laughs> I so I still think if it's a normal world and and Milwaukee has their their chance to play at home in Milwaukee, I do think there's something different about that. That home court advantage does come into play. Okay. So that's my my reasoning a little bit like they kind of got a little bit of a i think a in a position where that was a good spot for a team like the heat that year to really pull through i still think that like jimmy butler's the perfect robin to like a really massive superstar um and you know i don't think bam out of bio is that kind of guy and i i think having a bunch of robins can only take you so far like but Jimmy Butler's got the personality where I don't think he likes to deal with it. So it's like, I think he'll always be a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know what I mean? You know what's funny? I, in, a, in, a, in another universe, I would like to see a team with Zach Levine and Jimmy Butler on it. Because although yeah. Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan offensively are similar players, um, do a lot of their dirty work, in the mid-range, um, get to the free throw line a ton, especially Jimmy Butler. Jimmy's obviously a much better defensive player. He's just a different animal on the court um, than DeMar DeRozan, than a lot of other players in the NBA. And just to see how the two of them will play off of each other yeah. in that moment, uh, how that will work, uh, how far the two of them might be able to to lead a team between Jimmy's dogged mentality and, you know, get it done by any means necessary on both ends of the floor, yeah. complemented by a player who can score on every level, like Zach Levine is the shooter that Zach Levine is and can be the beneficiary of Jimmy Butler's downhill driving. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. Um, so... In that situation, I think you'd have such a good team. And I, I'd say that would be a, a contending team, a, like a championship contending team. I was thinking that's a team that attracts a star. Like, I I think the ability to play with Jimmy and Zach, and I, I think they would complement each other because Jimmy's the also type of guy that, like, knows when to defer. Like, if he sees Zach is hot, he's not going to try to get his. I think... Maybe in a clutch situation, he might want the ball, but I also think he is smart when he he knows somebody's cooking. He doesn't he doesn't f around. Where I feel like there's an element of Demar Derozan where it's like, okay, it's my turn now. Like, especially when we get to that fourth quarter, and it's like Zach could be cooking all game long, and Demar is just like, eh, you know what? My turn, my turn yeah. now, my turn to cook. And I I feel like. Jimmy also would have that capability and, and Jimmy's ability on the other end of the floor is where he's really valuable. Like yeah. you add that kind of beast into a game. He gets to take your best player, the opponent's best player out of a game completely. So I, like I said, like I, I don't, I'm not an anti Jimmy guy. Um, I've always been just very critical on like, if you call a guy a superstar, I feel like a superstar is Kevin Durant, LeBron James, like that class of this dude literally will do anything he can to try to win a title. Um, and I think Jimmy has that kind of mentality in him. I think there's just limitations to his game, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad at that. Um, yeah, I just, it's nuanced for sure. 
Yeah, he, he you know, he's we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but he, I know that he yeah. gets a lot of he gets a lot of flack, um, especially from certain Bulls fans who, you know, obviously and rightfully so are still very tied to Derrick Rose and didn't like how things shook out between allegedly between the two of them and the way things um, ended with those teams. But um, you'll be hard pressed to, to, to get me to say too many negative things about Jimmy Butler, just because of what you said when this discussion about him started off, I just admire very much. So how he's been able to squeeze every drop of, ability and talent out of what God gave him. I think there's something to be said for somebody that worked and continues to work as hard as he does. Uh, now, I think, you know, unfortunately, we're getting to that point in time where I, I think injuries are catching up. You know, his ability to play on yeah. both sides of the court obviously are going to start to wear him down, wear anybody down at a certain point. But I just I really appreciate his game and and how he works and especially how he takes his games to another level in the playoffs. It's, it's kind of remarkable. You know, that would be an interesting discussion for one time is, is really looking at that. What if, if Derek Rose really doesn't get hurt, you know, Jimmy Butler's that pick in the 2011 draft. And if Jimmy, you know, got to that point where he was an all-star and if Derek Rose was on that superstar level, where could this team have gone? And, and like when we talk about the success of maybe that Derrick Rose portion of the rebuild, that that had a chance, I think, if those two were on the same plane, you know, with Derek, Derek probably elevated into that like upper echelon of superstars, you know, probably is where like Russell Westbrook is, but, you know, not as maybe prickly. Um, and then... <laughs> You have Jimmy Butler ascending where he's going. Like, I think that 2015 Bulls team would have been very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I it would have been really interesting to see, like, if Derek was still where he was, would, would Carmelo Anthony have made a different decision at that point? Would the Bulls have, you know, like, there's a bunch of what-ifs that come from that. And you wonder, like, what could have happened with that team? Would Kevin Love have forced his hand instead of to Cleveland to Chicago at that point. And what kind of court could you have had? We'll never know. And, yeah. you know, well, heck, I mean, Paul Gasol had a revival for a small stretch there too. So who knows? Like it, there's so many what ifs from it. And it's definitely, it makes you think, but to get kind of back to the, the rebuild portion of it though, for the Chicago Bulls, like we were kind of talking a little bit offline, but now I'm kind of talking myself into this. I, I'm guessing there's probably been, if, if we were to really look, it, you could argue three to four iterations of a rebuild the moment that it started post-MJ because you had the Jerry Krause early rebuild with Eddie, uh, well, really with Elton Brand, then pivoting to Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, Jay Williams. He had drafted Jamal Crawford in 2000. And then that didn't really pan out fast enough. He retires. Then I think you have John Paxson's rebuild with the Baby Bulls. I kind of argue, are the Baby Bulls a separate rebuild or was 
Derek Rose an extension of that? Because really, like, Luol Deng, Kirk Heinrich were teammates of Rose for a little bit. Are those two different rebuilds or the same and just had one bad year in it? That's a good question. I, I feel like it's, it's one rebuild with just one bad year in it. Mm-hmm. But you reminded us that they – they were trying to win games. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I would call it one. That's that I would call that one rebuild, I think. Even though With a lot of re- yeah, yeah the, the cornerstones of what you thought it would be changed. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I'm kind of second guessing now. <laughs> well, like think about this. So so really like the baby bulls, you had your you had Heinrich, Gordon, Dang. And then they bring in Ben Wallace, but then they trade Ben Wallace the next year. So you still have those three. Derek Rose comes in the picture. All four are on the team at that point. So now it's Rose, Dang, Gordon, Heinrich. Then Gordon leaves for Detroit. And then you have Heinrich, Rose, Dang. Heinrich is shipped out the next year to create cap space. And then, you know, Rose and Dang were there until Dang got traded in 2014 so like i guess it it, by that if you take it just in that with those players technically i guess it would be part of it but then you know like the role players change and it's it's tricky it is it definitely is. is like so would you consider i guess we can answer that question I haven't even answered this one. Would you consider the Warriors, were they rebuilding when they got the second pick in the draft a few years ago and drafted James Wiseman into their already established core? Or was it just off? Well, and that that's the that's the hard question here because that's like an intentional tank job because basically they knew <laughs> everybody's hurt, right? Yeah. So Effort, we might as well just blow the season. And that, by definition, is a rebuild. I feel like with the Bulls, they really didn't try to do that. Now, they did end up with a number one pick, but they were trying to get into the playoffs that year. You know, like I brought up earlier, they were trying to get in. Surprise, um, surprise. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> but with that in mind, like, does that – It's I don't know. I don't know the answer because – I would say like this Warriors team that won the championship last year is an extension and it was okay. just a retool, but I, agree. I, I know I just contradicted myself by saying, eh, well, technically <laughs> it's a rebuild if you tank, but I mean, they had the intention of keeping a lot of that same core together. Yeah. So it's, it again, it's very nuanced. We can kind of keep going down this, but so I want to do something for the Chicago sports fans that, listen to our podcast because we know rebuildable podcast and, and a lot of bulls podcasts are international because the bulls are an international brand. A lot of people from different countries, you know, follow bulls, follow the bulls and follow bulls content. Um, but for our Chicago sports fans listening, especially, and I think it's kind of good insight for, for those of you that aren't Chicago sports fans, because I think it kind of paints a lens of where maybe drew and I sit on this if you start comparing the bulls to the other rebuilds that have happened here in Chicago, because we have, we have experienced it a lot since 
that Bulls rebuild in 1998, 1999 after the last championship. So if you start kind of comparing it, you know, the, the Bulls you mentioned 12 first round or 12 playoff appearances, eight first round exits, three semifinal exits and an Eastern conference final exit. Now let's start comparing it to some other teams in town. So I'll, I'll kind of just rattle off some teams and, and you tell me kind of what the comparison is. Let's start with the other Reinsdorf team, Chicago White Sox. Now the White Sox, it's a tough one. Not a lot of rebuilds, really. I think their biggest rebuild was 2017 when they decided to trade Chris Sale and sort of start all over. Otherwise, they were always sort of consistently retooling. But what what, what have the Sox done, really, in, in that amount of time? So the Sox, since the Bulls' last championship, actually have the fewest playoff appearances of the Sox, Hawks, Cubs, Bulls, Bears. They have five. Five playoff appearances, three divisional round losses, one wild card loss, but they have a World Series win. That is true. And that, see, that 05 World Series was the biggest flash in the pan. And we talked about it a little bit with, um, uh, you know, our, our, our boy Buzz from, from Bulls on Tap. Yeah. And, you know, it, they, they caught lightning in a bottle that year. Now, they did, they did build that up. Though, like they did build up their farm system. I'd say the white flag trade that happened in 1997 set them up for that. And it was a real slow time, but they even like tried to get it quickly retooled by 2000 because like they got to the playoffs in 2000 and got swept by the Mariners. I I remember that team. It was a a fun team, but and then after that, they just kind of like lingered in, in the 80s every year and wins or close to it. Like every year until that that World Series team in 05, they were always like trying to compete, but just weren't good enough. So yeah. I, I feel like they never fully, fully, fully committed to a rebuild until probably 2017. And I feel like that's still in progress, but kind of trending down. I don't know if you agree yeah. or disagree, but I think it's trending down. Yeah, I think it's it's a uh, it's it's safe to say that it's it's trending down. Just they haven't lived up to expectations. You know, they're coming off a a season that I've heard a lot of Sox fans call the most disappointing season that they've had to witness. So I, you're, I don't think you're off base at all by saying that. And um, you know, if we we kind of look at it here those two teams right there, Reinsdorf phone teams and kind of some similarities there. We we've definitely talked about that too. Um, so then let's go to the other baseball team. Now this one, I think the Cubs is an interesting one because they, they did, I, we can all admit that was a successful rebuild in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. With Theo and Epstein, yeah. um, the Cubs have nine playoff appearances, three divisional losses, three championship losses, two wild card losses and one world series victory. Yeah. And if you, if you really look at that, a lot of that happens from 2015 on, you know, before that, I'd say they, there was a lot of failed retools. And the weird thing with the Cubs, they're a team that really never committed to full blown teardowns. Like the early two thousands with like the Sosa Cubs. And then post Sosa, they were trying to compete. They just were terrible at 
trying to pick like pro personnel. Like they, they loved signing veteran guys in their thirties to like kind of small deals and saying, all right, let's, let's see what we can do. See if we catch lightning in a bottle like that. That was the Cubs model that felt like in the, in the nineties and in the early two thousands, I think when they had, you know, the Alfonso Soriano teams and they decided to go hog wild before new ownership came in, like those were teams that, you know, 07, 08 were really good and they got swept in both years in the playoffs. I, that was, those were tough, but I'd say all that success like that to me is the definition we were talking about though. Those Theo Epstein Cubs teams, when he committed to the teardown, try to get everybody on the same clock, right? All those young players to come up at around the same time, get them on the same timeline. That was, I think the, one of the most successful rebuilds in Chicago sports, if not the most successful, because it, there was a clear philosophy and a clear goal and they hit it. Um, because you look three straight years going to the NLCS, a world series in the middle of that, and then continue to kind of get into the postseason. aside from like 19. And then now they're going through a, a rebuild again, but it looks like they're kind of on the uptick of theirs right now. So, um, I'd say that's probably one of, a, if not the most successful, the rebuilds, although the Blackhawks might have a case with that. I, I think so. I'm not the, the biggest hockey guy, but I think so. So the Blackhawks have 11 playoff appearances, three first round exits, three quarter, quarterfinal losses, three Stanley Cup victories, and two conference final losses. I mean, they... So, man, the crazy things about the Hawks, man, is... That team committed to a rebuild when they traded. If you go back to the 90s, so they trade Chelios, they trade Ronick, they trade Belfour, and then literally just go into the, the tank. And you don't really know what their strategy was at all. Like, there, there was no game plan of how to get it back to like sustained success because those young teams. So the Hawks actually have a, a record in pro sports of the longest playoff stretch of any like pro sports team. Another team might've passed it, but they went like 20 something years straight of being in the playoffs oh, before wow. like the late nineties. That's when it got broken, but you know, they had like one flare up in Oh two with Tony Amante. And then after that, like until uh, unfortunately like, Bill Wirth's past, that's where it really turned around. But they were sort of planting the seeds before that, you know, and that you you kind of saw like Dale Talon, I think, had a little bit of a vision when he took over as GM and just totally tanked the team. Now, he doesn't get the credit for it because they let him go. And Stan Bowman gets a lot of that credit. But Dale Talon was the one that put the pieces in place with with Taves and Kane. And, and you know, he acquired Patrick Sharp. Uh, he drafted Duncan Keith and, you know, acquired uh, Brent Seabrook. And a lot of those players came from Dale Talon and Stan Bowman, I think definitely carried it along, but three Stanley cups. And I think what playoff appearances from 09 to 2000, 
17. That's a pretty good stretch right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and it, and also they had a, an interesting little flare up in, in the hockey bubble in 2020, but you know, they, they definitely held their own and that probably I'd say given the number of championships that that was a dynasty. So probably that's the most successful. Yeah. Have to say. Yeah. I think, um, without a doubt, just, even though we said you don't have to judge a rebuild specifically on championships, just, you know, they're, they're right there in playoff appearances, right behind the bulls. Um, but then they have three championships to show for it. So, um, yeah. competitive, we talked about sustained level of success, uh, whether that meant winning a championship or just being in contention for one, mm-hmm. um, you definitely got to give it these last 25 years, uh, the crown goes to the Blackhawks. Because if you you look at it, oh, for them, so it's not just three Stanley Cups. It's it, that sustained success of playoff berths, but getting to the, the conference championship too. Like they did it in the first year in 09. Um, mm-hmm. They did it in 2014, lost in overtime. That was a heartbreaker in game seven. Um. So like they like they they're the definition of that sustained success and and really being championship contenders consistently. So yeah. I'd say that's got to be the most successful. Now the Bears are an interesting one because like I think this is what spurred this whole thing too is seeing where the Bulls are at and then what, what's going on with the Bears right now. So since the Bulls started their their track of rebuilding in the last twenty five years, like kind of give that that story of where the Chicago Bears have been in the last 25 years. <laughs> so the, the the Bears have six playoff appearances, two wild card losses, two divisional losses, one conference loss, and of course one Super Bowl loss to the Colts in 2006 that started off like this is their year with Devin Hester returning that kickoff and then yeah. All crap from there. (laughs) Well, what's interesting with the Bears, Drew, is like the NFL is kind of a weird sport because I don't think a lot of teams bottomed out back in the day. Like, especially once free agency first started, it seemed like every team tried to like year to year add veterans or try to be competitive nobody ever admitted to wanting to lose you know it it was weird because like i don't ever remember the bears having a you know whoever it was a a gm like jerry angelo back in the day or um you know whoever like admitting because before jerry angelo they they had like random talent people running the team they didn't have a gm so like you never really heard anybody say, oh, yeah, we're, we're committing to, you know, improving, you know, getting younger. You never really heard that. Um, I think until Ryan Pace, like really until 2015, I don't think there was ever a committed rebuild because you got to look at it like it, they would just change regimes with coaches. And it, it's documented. I mean, you, I think you said you looked up the number of coaches. How many coaches have there been since since this? There have been seven. Seven coaches. Seven. Matt Eberflus is the, the seventh 
head coach yeah. in the last 25 years. Because you in the so the 98 season would have happened after the Bulls dynasty. And the mm-hmm. 98 season, it's Dave Wanstead and that's a crappy 4 and 12 ugh, team. And then it goes to Jerron for a few years and then it goes to Lovey in 04. And I think it's like it's weird because the personnel kind of gets handed off from each regime to each regime because the the Bears also do something that's kind of annoying. They have a track record of having GMs and coaches, especially in the early 2000s, start on different timelines. (laughs) So it's like Jerry Angelo comes in as a GM, inherits Dick Jerron, keeps Dick Jerron, and then he brings in Lovey, and then they fire Jerry Angelo, and Phil Emery keeps Lovey, and then he fires Lovey, and then, you know, goes to Trustman, and then that's finally where they're like, all right, we're going to bring a new GM, new coach. And they kind of even botch that too. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of weird with the Bears though because like, seven head coaches, but like, I don't think the real rebuild happened until they, they did the Pace-Fox thing in 15. Now that didn't work clearly because they screwed it up at the most important position at quarterback with Mitch instead of Mahomes or Watson, but mm-hmm. I, we don't need to go down that road, but you know, <laughs> that one's been the, the craziest. Like, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Cause like with the bears, it's sort of a weird kind of weird flare ups. That's like the story of, of the bears. The last 25 years is just flare ups of success. Um, Similar to, to, to what you just said, nothing sustained in terms of playoff appearances. I don't think they've had – I take that back. They've had one stretch of back-to-back playoff appearances. Everything else has been separated by at yeah. least a season. Um, I, yeah, I'd say, like, Lovey probably had the most – probably successful stretch because he had yeah. the back-to-back and then 2010. And you could argue, like, even after 2010 – 2011 and 2012 were pretty decent years for the Bears where injury derailed them the one year in 11 because that was the Cutler thumb injury. They're seven and three. They're rolling. You think they're going to you know, have a, a chance to get to the playoffs. And again, in the NFL, like it's about getting to the playoffs consistently and, and having a chance because the NFL is kind of a weird one with postseason play. Um, yeah. But, you know, 2012 was a year where they were, again, they were rolling and then they had a really good defense that year. But, you know, I think they started off like seven and two or something like that. And then they finished 10 six and didn't make the playoffs and Lovey gets fired. But that's probably the closest thing to sustained success. For sure. For sure. Now, you know, with everything that's, that's transpired within the last week with the Bears trading the, the number one pick and getting the haul from the Panthers and them continuing to try to improve the roster with uh, through free agency. It reminds me of kind of the goodwill or the good vibes that us as Bulls fans, we experienced in the summer of, of 2021. And yeah, you know, man, you had, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, 
that's a really good comparison. Like the feeling of building to something, you know, and I, I think like with the bears right now too, the one thing that's a little different is it's like you're dealing with a season prior where you saw a lot of growth from your quarterback. And I think that's kind of got the fan base hyped up. You're seeing a lot of, um, you know, you kind of see like young players coming in that you're like, Oh, you know, you have Darnell Mooney, who's young. You have Cole Komet, who's young. You have Justin Fields, who's young. You have Chase Claypool, who's young. You just bring in DJ Moore as part of that trade. He's young. And you start thinking like you got these young guys on defense too. Goes back on back. You're seeing like you're building to something where everybody's kind of on the same timeline. And I think there's going to be a shift probably in a year. Uh, we could be sitting here a year from now and it's going to be the big veteran move that like says, all right, we're here now. Like we're ready to compete with the big boys, but you know, you see that there's a vision and that's, what's nice. And I think like early we saw with the bulls going back to what you're saying, 2021, we saw like, okay, there's a vision here. Um, I think where it kind of gets weird is like, did the vision ever really get seen through or was it just kind of incomplete? You know, like, what what I think, I think it's yeah you can say it's incomplete. I, I mean I know um not to cut you off, I'm gonna get you right back yeah. on, on on the track in a second, but I think uh we can say it's incomplete, even though as angry or uh, as frustrated as we want to be with the organization and the moves or or the moves that they haven't made since you know kind of overhauling that roster, um I do think that you can say that that vision, they had a vision as well, but it wasn't able to be seen through um, due to injury. Uh, obviously, Lonzo Ball still going through it. We talked about it a short time ago. Um, go back to what you were saying. I'm sorry. No, and I, I think that's a, it's a good point, too. And, like, actually, I'll, I'll ask you this question um, as we kind of wrap up the discussion. Like, do you think – that the Bulls this summer are more headed towards that tear it down to the studs rebuild, or are they headed for some type of retool? Like, what do you, what do you think's coming for the Chicago Bulls? If you had a your gut feeling, my gut is saying that they're headed for more of a rebuild, and we talked about this before because I think the player that can make this thing go farther forward, even though it may have to go backwards first, is Zach Levine. Um, in terms of, you know, who's most valuable, the most valuable asset they have on the team and what that player can command on the market. Um, obviously, Nikola Vucevic can walk. Uh, DeMar DeRozan be another year older. Um, there's talk that he may ask for an extension this summer. Uh his um his market I don't think is going to be as great this summer as it would have been at the during the trade de- deadline or even a little bit before that so yeah I, I I would hope that they would retool around Zach Levine at least for the time being but I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first domino to fall just mm-hmm. because of what he what that would do in terms of resetting things. Hmm. Man, that 
I, that's interesting because like you're saying not even like that's what you want it's what you think is gonna happen too so like that's saying something um because you know it, and that would put us in based on our conversation that put us in our, our fourth iteration of a rebuild since the dynasty and i mean eventually you gotta start looking in the mirror like why do we have why does this keep happening you know, we, we, we tried it with Kraus, didn't work. We tried it with Garpax, and they they held it up with chicken wire and duct tape and tried to keep something afloat. But couldn't get to that neck, couldn't get over that hump. And then they tried it again, Garpax, post-Jimmy Butler. And it, you know, they got fired for it. I Well, Gar did, but Pax stepped aside. And, you know, now, I mean, really like Arturis and Mark Eversley would, would probably be getting their first crack at really starting a rebuild from square one instead of taking over mid rebuild, you know, so it, it, it would be interesting, but man, it would put us in our, in our fourth version of this. And I, you got to wonder, can Bulls fans continue to stomach it? Like, I, and I, I wonder if that was maybe the thinking behind Acme and ownership maybe saying, let's accelerate this a little bit. I, I wonder if if that was the reason behind it is can Bulls fans continue to stomach this? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Or the Reinsdorfs just want to get back into the playoffs, you know, just creep back get in that their revenue on top of the revenue they get for not going into the tax. You know, you just you wonder. Yeah, get that gate money like we all talk about, right? Yeah. So <laughs> Let, let me ask you this. Do you think, and again, this is not something I researched. I'm kind of throwing this out there. Is it a, a requisite that you rebuild and get a top draft pick? Like, is it, do you have to tear it down to the studs in order to get a top draft pick in order for that rebuild to really hit the ground running? Like, how many rebuilds do we see based on a free agent acquisition? Well, I feel like the free, well, like a free agent acquisition typically doesn't like tip it. You know, it's usually got to be a trade that brings back like major, I think, youth or draft capital. Like usually that's what triggers a rebuild. So it's usually shipping out your core. I think that's where probably that's the first domino. It's shipping out the, the core that you had established previously and replacing it either with younger unproven talent like maybe unproven in terms of full potential and draft capital I, I feel like that has to be kind of a part of it because you typically don't see like we're shipping out our core and oh by the way we're signing like this major player you know what i mean like it's usually uh a tear down to kind of evaluate because even if you bring in like young talent like you know you look at that jimmy butler trade that trade is basically a rebuild that starts with, at, you know, you, you're technically drafting Larry Markkinen with the Minnesota pick. And then you're bringing in two young pieces to evaluate. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's, that's one way to kind of kick it off, right? Like it doesn't always yeah. have to be like, we're going to tear this down, suck so bad and try to get the number one pick. 
So the, like, the Bulls tried that route, and the problem is they just kind of kept finding themselves at number seven all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think there's, I think it, it just starts with a youth movement. I think maybe that's the best way to put it. It starts with a youth movement. Yeah, just, like, you know, based on our conversation, looking at how this thing has gone since Michael Jordan was here, obviously a once in a lifetime type player. The next time they get to a point where they have what seems to be a a level of sustained success, you have another generational player in Derrick Rose. Yeah. Both of those guys came from the draft, from the lottery. You just wonder when's the next time the Bulls are going to be in a position to draft a generational talent. No disrespect to Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, but they aren't generational talents, you know. And maybe that's just, that's 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 um dumbing it down too much or but just I'm just spitballing here a little bit. No, you bring up a good point. Like, you know, it, it would have been great if Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause maybe were a little more measured post dynasty and did try to run it back in '99. And who knows, maybe come the year 2000, Michael Jordan is still on the Bulls as a very old veteran player handing the torch off to a a young free agent like Tracy McGrady or a young free agent like Tim Duncan. You know, Mm. maybe that's the scenario that happens when you have a little more of a smooth handoff. Um, Because I think there is a way to do that. And especially back in that era of the NBA, I think there was a way to kind of smoothly transition from one generation to the next it doesn't always have to be like this freaking mass teardown because if you do attract the free agent talent you can kind of keep it going a little bit um although in in this i I will say though in the last 10 years it seems like a lot of teams have had to do like at least the one year reset or one and a half or two year reset so you know, it might have to happen. I think what both fans would need to see, especially with Acme right now, is if you go this route, you better not linger like the last rebuild or the last portion of the Garpax rebuild started, right? Like 17, 18, 19, and 20 felt like slogs, right? Like it just, it felt like it was going on forever. And you think about like the, well, actually, like the, I should say, seventeen eighteen season felt like a it just dragged on and on and on. Eighteen nineteen felt like it dragged on. Twenty felt like, wait, we might turn this around, but really, oh crap, it's the same problems, and we have this dumbass head coach that's not helping things turn the corner. So, and I think that the key will be, we talk about all those really good rebuilds, player development. The Cubs, successful because they built that farm system. They developed those guys. They were ready when they came up. Chicago Blackhawks, same thing. Like They had really good player development as guys were coming into the system at that time with the Hawks. And for the Bulls to pull this off, I think they need that to be the point of emphasis if they're going to do this. What is your player development strategy? You know, that's that's got to be the key. And, and the crazy thing is Acme or Arturis came from Denver, 
where they have that kind of in place. And we haven't seen that yet here in Chicago. So I think that's going to be the, the key if they, if they go the route you're saying and, and actually do commit to the, to rebuild number four for the Chicago bulls this summer. Yeah. Now I say that, or I said that, and now I'm thinking about other Ryansdorf's or is Ryansdorf, Jerry Ryansdorf, namely going to be up for doing a whole another rebuild, but then you weigh that against the fact that they may not even make the play in this year. This is going to be interesting, interesting summer, man, to see where it is, what direction this gets steered into. Now, I will say there could be a path on a retool that could be a massive retool, where Zach Levine stays and you're parting with a lot of your fringe level players, like the Alex Caruso's of the world, and it might not be draft capital, but are you trying to find more youth and maybe? go into the free agent market with a mission to find better pieces around Zach Levine. That could be an interesting path. Um, yeah. But again, like at that point though, I think you need to have at least one other key player that would be part of that roster. Could it be Patrick Williams? Cause here, if, if Patrick Williams, uh, give him this, he's been on quite a stretch lately. If next year he finally turns that corner, even just a little bit. Okay, now now we can have a little bit of a different conversation. Now maybe that player development is actually working. We're seeing gains from it, but you know that that could change things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's it had been harder to see it from him. You know, obviously you don't want to take too much from the player. Like there still needs to be some onus on them, but the things we were looking for from Patrick Williams were a little bit harder to see because of who he's playing with or who he was playing with in that starting five. I think some of those things now are a little more evident um, in terms of what we wanted to see from him offensively, because he's been in that reserve role since the all-star break, except for, I think one game, um, where they started him to match him up against Kevin Durant when they played the Suns recently. But, um, you know, there's still ups and downs. And to your point, though, if, if, if he starts to show more of what it is that we as fans and Billy Donovan as his coach and Acme as his executives want to see, then, you know, this, this thing looks different. Because I'll say this, I think any type of retool or rebuild either one of them I think could really show you what you have in Patrick Williams because I think shipping out at the very least DeMar and I'd say maybe even Vooch you might be able to see what he actually has with a little more touches on on offense so I don't know it it's definitely going to be like you said an interesting summer and I don't know this whole discussion about rebuilds kind of just thought about it with you know what's going on with the bulls and, and what's going on really in town and, and thinking man yeah, it's been 25 years of a lot of rebuilding happening in in our city and it's been rough like for a big market man we, we sure do go through a lot of this and as you can tell not not successfully all the time so yeah. um real quick final thoughts before before we wrap up here just on the bulls or our discussion in general tonight Oh, I just I, I dig it the 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 topic that 
you came to me with before we hopped on and, and thinking about what's going on in this city. It's not a pleasant topic, but I think it was a very cool um, idea to, to talk about it, uh, just because there are so many similarities between the sports teams in town. Um, looking forward, just, you know, <laughs> will this Bulls team defy what we've seen from them to this point in the season and actually string together enough games to sneak into the playing tournament. Mm. And at one point, if, if they do become mathematically eliminated, do we see kind of the younger players, the, the Dalen Terry's of the world, um, get some more time, get some more playing time, uh, as we look ahead to the next season. Yeah, that'll that'll be interesting to see because I, I do think if you get mathematically eliminated, see what you got at that point. Start start the player development clock on some of these young guys because, you know, I mean, I think you and I both thought it, it might have been good to do that without having to, you know, go along with the charade, but it is what it is. I think, like you said, they're, they're going to commit to it I think we have to get used to that as Bulls fans. Like, they're going to commit to it until they're mathematically eliminated. So, it is what it is. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at mgentil 88 Drew is at look what Drew did. The Rebuildable Podcast at Rebuild underscore A underscore Bull. You can find all our latest episodes there. And you can also find them on all the major streaming platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, if you still use Stitcher. Um, and even tune in if you still use tune in we're there too we're at wherever you get your podcasts you can find us there and I would encourage you to uh, please like and subscribe you know you subscribe to a podcast you get it right in your feed so if you're an avid listener or just listening for the first time you like what you hear please subscribe as always with Drew Stevens I'm Matt Gentile and we'll catch you next time Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.